self-awareness and and self-inflection is really the key, right? Understand what you're good at, what you can bring to the table, how you can think out of the box to be creative. I think that's what this time where we are right now really needs. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skill talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Stetler. Now that we've spoken about, under a more normal circumstance, when a a new potential client comes to you and they say, I want to begin building a a mixed or, or completely remote team, how you go about that. Now let's talk about the current situation with COVID-19. So companies and and project managers and individuals around the world are being compelled by sheer necessity to go remote, whether they like it or not. On the one hand, this is, as you said earlier, it's an opportunity to demonstrate the benefits, but there's also this concern that for a lot of people, at least for me, and I've seen it echoed by other people in the world of remote work, there's this concern that if your first exposure to remote work is this, basically under duress and having to instantly make the plunge, there could be the danger of it leaving a bad taste in your mouth, basically, because this is not the circumstance under which you go about this. Like you all heard Stephanie talk about what's done under any other circumstance to ensure that this runs properly. So Stephanie, what would you say to those who are listening who are just trying to get their team up and running again, so to speak, or rebuild their team even? Yeah, I think the biggest piece is accountability across the board, right? So if you have a team that is usually in the office, you see everyone, you can stop by their desks, you know they're there. There's a lot of tools out there that we use, you know, where we can see if people are online or or what they're working on and things like that. But I think you have to hold your team accountable for the same standards that you would in the office, right? So the same Mm -hmm. level of output and things like that. Understanding that this is a difficult time and, you know, many people don't have childcare and they, you may, they may hear screaming babies in the background or, or whatever that may yeah. be and being flexible about that. But it's, it's not a time to assume that you're home and so you can have Netflix going in the background or whatever it may be and, and not really working, right? I would encourage folks to get the right tools, start doing the video calls, making sure that people are, are getting up and out of the bed and, and, and not working in environments that are making them less productive, right? So it's, it's making sure that the goals are still clear making sure that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and holding folks accountable to that. Yeah. And I think also, and I know that this is the kind of thing that can be very difficult to expect to people immediately, but trying to view remote work as its own paradigm rather than just doing the traditional office environment, but from home, basically, like this is its own animal. It opens up entirely new possibilities when approached on its own terms. It's analogous to what we were discussing about how everyone has their own rhythm in terms of of the best way to work. So taking this as, you know, it's not, we're going to do exactly what we did before in our office, but now everyone is home. How would you advise people to, to begin understanding it on its own terms as its own paradigm that is not simply okay, do the pre, do what you did before, but now you just happen to not be sitting in your office, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think it goes back to what we said. It, you have to understand your team. 
you have to know how how they are going to be able to work, right? So if if nap time's at three o'clock in the afternoon, then that person may be off from maybe more productive from three to five or something like that, and less productive right before that. It's it's making sure that you have an open line of communication to your employees and your teams so that they can tell you what's going to work best. And then you can all work around around that to a certain extent until there's some sort of normalcy that's established. And then you can get back into the day-to-day, right? It's I think it's number one, it's it's setting the expectations so that everybody understands what their role is and, and what they need to be accountable for. But also knowing that, yeah, it's a tough time, right? And it's not going to be a super fast solution. Everyone's going to take a little bit of time to to get through the learning curve here. But I think once everybody establishes sort of their own rhythms and understands what works for them, they can communicate upwards and say, you know, hey, here's here's what I can do. Here's what I'll achieve. Or here's my ideas for, for how we can make this a success. Yeah. I hope that many companies, I know not all of them will continue with remote on, on a large scale once this crisis has abated, but I hope that they continue with at least some of it because yeah. we, we live in a, speaking now as an economist who's previously specialized in risk management, we, we live in a, a world that is obviously prone to unexpected crises every, you know, every 10 years or so. So who knows what the next thing will be, but there will be another one. This, this one will pass, but then there'll be another one that suddenly requires this kind of flexibility and sudden change in work circumstances, whether it's a natural disaster, who knows, it doesn't matter, but we do know something will. What would you then suggest as things do begin going back to normal? How can companies best continue with some remote work in their DNA so that if and when another crisis compels them to have to go entirely remote or or something similar in terms of adapting to new circumstances that they're more ready, basically, yeah. next time around. I would say keep the tools in use, right? And to the extent you can, leverage it even within office work. And, you know, beyond that, maybe adopting something where, you know, one or two days a week, some of the employees work from home or, you know, it, it's a little bit more flexible. And yeah. this is not going to work for every company, right? But it's it's baby steps. I would say that overall, the benefits of allowing remote work outweigh the deficiencies. I think that if we can get to a society where most of the businesses have remote capability, then that opens the doors for those companies, right? Because maybe they don't have to only look at a local talent pool to hire for you know new positions that can keep costs lower. Not insinuating that you know we want to open everything to a global talent pool, but where we can and where it can help businesses, especially recover after some of this stuff, it's it's definitely one of the pros to to everything going on. Yeah, every crisis is an opportunity, and when we look at history, every most difficult moment in human history, wars have also been massive moments of innovation in the technical exactly. sense, and also just upending many aspects of how we previously conceived of, of work and, and other things. So this will be no exception. And yeah. I think that that's valuable, a valuable thing to keep in mind is that when this passes, that companies understand, okay, it's not just everyone come back to the office. It's think, okay, what did we learn that maybe can help us be more flexible and productive just moving forward as well and and also keeps us a bit more ready when unfortunately the next crisis hits eventually every crisis is an opportunity and our clients and so many companies you know they they work in in technology which which itself is ever changing 
markets are ever changing. And now there's this big question about, okay, what does this mean for the economy? What does it mean for certain industries? You mentioned, for example, companies that had previously been making cars or, or other products moving to making ventilators. So technology companies or companies that choose to adopt more technology in, in how they work, they have the ability to, to pivot quickly. And I think those who keep their wits about them and really think about this moment in time in terms of the opportunities it brings to really help people and to help companies get through it and past it will be tomorrow's business leaders. So from a project management standpoint, how do you make a team that this balance again, I guess so much of it is about this balance of there's a goal for the product. Obviously the product that is being built is something that has already been defined or that's being defined, but you also want this flexibility for if circumstances really necessitated or the users say, okay, maybe, you know, they're telling us something different that you can do a pivot, sometimes a drastic one. So especially in circumstances like this, how do you advise people to have that flexibility and creativity within their teams to catch the opportunities that lie on the other side of this crisis? I would say that those who haven't adopted agile methodologies do so to the best of their ability. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I mean, really, that's that's the the biggest piece that allows that allows folks to pivot. Right. If you're still I won't call it the dark ages, but a little bit if you're still living in waterfall, you know, that's that's not an easy way to pivot. Everything is already defined and, and you have to work to a specific specification with agile. You can pivot at any time. Right. Without a ton of rework needed with the companies that we work with, we've had to do that just in the last couple of weeks, right? We've had one sort of business idea for the company and these are, you know, clients in the, in the service industry. And they've said, you know, well, previously we thought we were going to do this whole big project, but right now we've got to do this on a smaller scale and we're going to target this other market instead, right? So instead of targeting the travel sector, maybe you focus on the community and content portion of your application, right? And understand how you need to adapt and, and innovate to, adjust your business, right? And hope that the rest of it and your core business will come around later. But in the meantime, improve the parts that you know are are, are going to be successful in, in a time like this. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say agile, you and I both know what that word means. And yeah. I'm sure the vast <laughs> yeah. majority of our listeners do as well. But it's also one of those words similar to disruption, where I'm always interested to hear an expert give his or her own, you know, like in your own words, basically, if you were to define agile to someone, what what does it mean to you fundamentally? Yeah, start with an idea and build the smallest component that you can for that idea that is that is usable. So we call it an MVP, right? A minimum viable product. Start with something that's very, very bare bones and start to see what your user feedback or, or traction is on that very, very bare bones idea. And from there, once you've proven it out, then you iterate, right? Then you start adding new features and you say, all right, well, I've got this core functionality that I know works and people like. Now, what if I add in the ability to, I'm thinking in the restaurant industry, right? So I I have a restaurant website. That's my MVP. I I just want people to know my name. But a next feature might be, all right, well, this, you know, I was planning on putting my full menu and trying to get people in the door to make reservations. But now instead of that, I want to pivot and say, I need you know, my menu because I want people to be able to order for, for takeout or, or delivery instead of a reservation module, right? So it's, it's understanding your very basic product and then building on top of that and evaluating every single time you put something new out there and making mm-hmm. sure it's what users want before you then begin to build on that more and more and more over time, right? So yeah, another example would be you know, perfect a, a basic plain old donut 
before you start adding on frosting and sprinkles, right? Just get the the first thing out the door and then make it better. Yeah, exactly. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the the one thing I've always said to my portfolio companies is think of the MVP, especially at the early stages, as more of an action than a thing. So basically, you're performing an action and you want to get the users to perform a certain action to validate your hypothesis. So for example, if it were the restaurant website, are people interested in, for example, the first hypothesis before you build too much of a website and all the distribution channels and everything is, are your users interested in, in ordering from a restaurant online, at least for, you know, in this area that we're in or for this kind of food that we're doing? And what gets you the quickest response to that? I'm interested to hear if that resonates with how you do it or... I mean, the more user feedback that you can get, the better, right? I mean, going back to really bare bones MVP for that analogy, it's, is your restaurant something that people want, right? In a a time like this? I mean, hopefully the answer is yes. If it's not, then maybe you don't invest in enhancing the website, right? If it is, and you know there's demand, then you start looking at those other things, right? Would they order online? Is your user base people who are capable of ordering online? And then, you know, getting delivery or picking up an order, right? It, every little piece along the way should be analyzed to a certain extent to make sure that it's the right decision. And I think, you know, we can do it quickly with Agile, you know, on a day-to-day basis rather than scoping everything and assuming your end result for months of work in the very beginning. Right. That's fascinating. And I think, I imagine a lot of companies have been adopting this, but remote work and and global on-demand talent just opens up such a massive new frontier of what you can do with that in terms of the questions you can test so quickly with expertise around the world. And so I feel like this could be on par with the, the paradigm shift that the first industrial revolution brought in terms of the magnitude of change of what can be built in the coming years. I, I, I don't think that's an exaggeration. No, I don't either. I mean, everybody right now is looking at their computers or their phones or their tablets and and consuming content, right? If you even had a small percentage of that airtime to validate something that you're looking to validate, like we talked about earlier with the restaurant analogy, this is the time to do it. You have access to hundreds of thousands and millions of people right out there to to glean insight from. and, And I think we haven't leveraged that enough. Agreed. I think we're just at the beginning of the curve on this yeah. in, in so many ways. And I mean that in a, in a good way. I think it's very exciting to see what happens when, when this is truly harnessed uh, as much as it can be. Are there any particular industries or types of companies that you feel that would benefit from this tremendously but have not yet adopted agile or remote global talent? You know, I think it's a tough one. We we see a lot right now um, in the healthcare and real estate space, things like, especially during this time, you know, building out virtual house tours or mm, yeah. building out portals for telemedicine, right? When we can't see actual patients. So I think that there's tons of ways that we can leverage remote talent, especially if those individuals themselves can't work remotely. I mean, it, it's quite hard for a doctor to evaluate a patient remotely, but tele- telemedicine makes it yeah. work, right? To a certain extent yeah. and limits the risk to the doctors. And same, you know, I don't who knows what the housing market's going to look like after this, but for realtors who are trying to sell houses, they don't necessarily want to be going in with a bunch of people looking at a, a house into somebody else's space and, and risking you know, other contamination or, or things like that. So there's so many ways that we'll, I think we'll start seeing 
things change now with with remote work, but I think just about every industry that you could possibly think of is primed for this. Yeah, I, I remember when I was building my venture fund and I was speaking with potential investors or strategic partners from larger companies in more traditional industries, I would say to them, if you don't think that your industry is relevant for high tech, and if you're not seeing a lot of tech in your industry, you're probably the next industry that is going to get massively disrupted. Exactly. The hotels probably didn't think they were in tech. The car companies, you know, the taxi companies didn't think they were in tech. And then Airbnb and Uber came along and just completely reimagined the paradigm of the job to be done that they were offering. I think if there's an industry where remote work isn't happening yet, that might be one of the ripest opportunities in, in many ways. So to conclude our discussion specifically regarding the situation with COVID-19, I'm not going to ask you to predict, and I myself uh, do not enjoy predicting at all because we just discussed how important it is to realize that we live in an unpredictable world and you have to just always be learning and adapt agile methodologies. But if you had to give your sense of what the world will be looking like in terms of work over the next year and maybe the the next few years as it comes out of this, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it goes back to a lot of the things that we've spoken about along the way, but I think every single company should be evaluating their technology choices at this point. It's innovation, it's adapting to the times, it's figuring out how to just generally grow the business, but we've learned that things sometimes have to go remote and things change very quickly. So if there's a component of the business that you're working with that can be, I I won't say automated because we're we're not looking to replace humans with this by any means, but if there's something that can come online to increase business security and job security, I think that will never change going forward. You know, I think that's something that's that's going to be a requirement as, as so many people have been losing their jobs and, and ending up in so much uncertainty and you know, in the in the jobs that they do now. So I think that's step one, right? We need to reevaluate how we run our businesses and the level of service industry we have in the in in the world and and certainly in the US where we live, there's a lot of different opportunities there. But I think that's step step one is evaluate your business, see what you can bring online and how you can function your team around that so that if something like this happens in the future, we're all prepared. I agree. Amen. You mentioned people, unfortunately, losing their jobs right now as a result of this. And hopefully remote work will offer many of them ways to take control of their careers again after this. And so what would you say to someone right now who is who is looking to begin with remote work, not necessarily because they lost their prior job, but just overall, this has demonstrated to them the value of diversifying the types of clients you can work with in many ways, what would you say to someone, you've seen what makes teams work and not work in these kinds of situations. What would you say to someone to get started in this and to be successful in it as they embark upon this new part of their career? Do the research to understand what's in the highest demand. There are a lot of different skill sets that are are more marketable than others. So in in a downtime like this, if if you're you're out of a job and looking for your, your next next adventure, I'll call it, then, you know, do the research behind it to find out, you know, what can put you in the best position to succeed. And beyond that, I think it's understand what your goals are and what you're looking to get out of the remote companies and the remote projects that you're on, because that'll drive your success as well, right? To, to understand what you're looking for. I think that increases just overall job happiness and, 
I think that that pushes us to the next level with with remote work. And regarding thinking about their what they want out of it and what they want to be doing, what are your own best practices for learning? So if you're learning a new skill, if you're, I imagine what I, what I love about this is, you know, every, every new project brings something new to learn about in across various dimensions. It could be a new part of the world. It could be a new kind of technology, a new market. When, when you, how do you go about learning, especially when the job requires you to, to begin undertaking a new skill? Yeah. Well, Google is a magical thing. Um, (laughs) Thank (laughs) you, Internet. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But, you know, the best thing is to, you know, reach out to folks in your network who have done it, find out how they learned it, right? It is um, use things like Udemy, Coursera, anything like that, that um, different tools online that offer certifications and and things like that for different types of work and different business knowledge, you know, across the board. But, you know, reach out to your network, find people who you know are good at what they do and let them know, you know, what you can offer and, and you know, how they can help and, and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, and I say, I say, you know, do the research, go on. I, I, I joke about Google, but it, there are so many resources for every individual skill and it's going to be nuanced, right? You're going to learn something different on Udemy or, or Coursera than you would on YouTube or reading articles and, and everything like that. But there's the sky's the limit to, to learning anything new at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think just instilling that habit, because if you're working in technology, the moment you sit still, you're moving backwards. So absolutely. Everything that brought what is now important and hot or whatever the key new technologies are, that those forces of change didn't stop today. So who knows what the next, what the next ones will be. And that's not something to end on an ominous note. It's just to say, that the only constant is change, as they say, and and you need to be learning and and therefore you can harness it rather than be concerned about it. Yep. Some of our best innovators came from down times, right? I mean, our yeah. Picassos that, you know, et cetera. This is the time to be productive and to think about what you're best at and what you can succeed in. What better message to wrap up with? But I, I just can't thank you enough for this conversation. And I want to ask you, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to say to our listeners who are obviously working very hard to adopt their teams and their and their careers to this circumstance. Is there anything that I haven't touched upon that you'd like to say to them? I would just say at this point is you know, self-awareness and, and self-inflection is really the key, right? Understand what you're good at, what you can bring to the table, how you can think out of the box and be creative. I think that's what this time where we are right now really needs, right? It needs thinkers who are not bogged down in their day-to-day and it's what's next. Absolutely. And if as part of that, they want to get in touch with you to discuss possibly working with you and with TopTel, what would be the best way to to get in touch with you? Yep, absolutely. So you can reach me at stephanie.courier, C-U-R-R-I-E-R at toptel.com. That's probably the most efficient way or look me up on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive and I, I will try <laughs> to be even more so over you know this to this time, this uh, uncertain time. Perfect. Thank you so much again. I've just learned so much from this and it gives me hope that it's not to downplay the severity of this crisis and the tragedy of it, but it's still going to bring opportunities that will benefit so many people moving forward, just hearing you speak about all of this. So thank you so much again. Great. Thanks, Eric. I'm your host, Eric Stedler. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com. 
where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 